Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Veg Grower Podcast. My name is Richard and I am trying to grow all my fruit, vegetables and herbs in my allotment and my garden. Now this week we start off with the allotment update and I'm sat down on the allotment at the moment. Now luckily this week the weather has massively improved. The odd few showers still, but a lot of sunshine at the same time. This, for me, has been a great relief. It's given me the chance to get down here on the allotment with the strimmer and the lawnmower and trim the grass. The grass was getting really, really long. And the trouble is when the grass gets really long here, it gets very, very thick. And the strimmer will go through it but the lawnmower does struggle. So I've had to take my time, go through it with the strimmer first and finish off with a lawnmower in order to try and get the grass down to a nice, neat, tidy level. I've said time and time again, I'm always amazed just how cutting the grass just transforms the appearance of the allotment. And I will stand by that. I quite enjoy cutting the grass. It's one of my my jobs that I, I enjoy doing because I get the chance to sort of think at the same time. Anyway, with the grass trimmed and the appearance of the allotment looking a lot better, I have dived into getting rid of a few more weeds. This is something that we can always do even when it is wet weather, but it becomes harder to do when you're getting soaking wet and you just want to get home. So weeds have been growing a little bit over the last few weeks, but we've got on top of them looking a lot better for it. And I feel a lot happier now for that. Now, something else that I've done is I have harvested my large cabbage. Now, this is a cabbage that has been growing at the very top of the allotment. It it needed harvesting. It was been looking absolutely fantastic, and I'm really, really happy with it. It's a nice, big, it's about the size of my head cabbage. And I just cut that off at the stalk, took it home, and the remainders, the leaves left behind, what I've actually done is I've picked those and given those to my chickens. I always think it's good to give the chickens some fresh greens anyway, and it helps keep the feeding costs down as well. So, yeah, we've got a nice cabbage. I mean, we've harvested quite a few bits this week, including tomatoes and beans and courgettes, all here from the allotment. Now, I have noticed when it comes to my tomatoes, that we are starting to get some blight on our outdoor tomatoes, which is really annoying. It's not a bad infection at the moment, but I'm seeing lots of people are suffering from blight at the moment. It's What's more annoying is that it's came pretty early that the outdoor tomatoes really haven't had chance to start to ripen. So luckily the infection isn't too bad. We're just removing any infections as we see them and hoping the rest will survive and the tomatoes will ripen before they get infected. Luckily our indoor greenhouse tomatoes haven't been affected by blight but we are seeing some signs of blossom end rot on some of our tomatoes. Now blossom end rots often happens when there's a lack of calcium in the soil. All these ones inside the greenhouse are growing in pots so perhaps the compost is lacking a bit of calcium and I'll have to remember that for next year. That being said it is only one of the varieties of tomatoes that are affected. Most of them are fine but I've got a couple of the yellow varieties, it's a variety called Little, that are affected and it may be just that those varieties are a bit more susceptible to blossom end rot than any of the others. 
But at the same time, that gives me an indication that if I want good tomatoes in these pots next year, I need to add some minerals to the pots ready for next year. Now, I mentioned last week that my neighbours have started streaming down and tidying up their allotment, which I'm really pleased about because it has made my very top of my allotment a lot easier to get to. And I've got in there and I've cleared down some of the weeds on my side and managed to gain access to my blackberries. Blackberries, again, are really lovely, nice, big, thick and sweet. So very happy with those and being able to harvest them. It's just a shame we've missed out on a lot of red currants and black currants due to my neighbour's plot being so overgrown. But now that they are tidying up their area and keeping it trimmed, what I've managed to do is get some more wood chips down underneath the rest of the fruit bushes to mulch around that area, reduce the amount of weeds, reduce the amount of work that I need to do, as well as concentrate on growing more of our fruit plants up here. Once the blackberries are done and that area then basically just becomes getting prepared for the winter as they go into their dormancy and while they are dormant we're going to be doing some remedial care pruning etc to some of these fruit bushes in order to get them ready for next year now one final thing that i have done which i've done today is harvesting my overwintered onions there was three varieties of overwintered onions all of which were ready to be harvested and if I'm honest it's a little bit late to get them out but never mind we've got them all out we've got a good amount of onions to say the least very very happy with the amount that we've got I'm always checking them to make sure as I harvest them that the onions are not going soft and any soft ones either need eating right away or they are put in the compost bin Personally, I put them in the compost bin because we've got plenty of them and I don't feel it's wasting when we're turning it into compost. I know some people will say onions shouldn't go into the compost bin, but I do put them in there. But with all the onions out, that's given that empty bed now. So I've put in a couple of butternut squash plants. Now my butternut squash plants are very slow growing this year. I sowed these back in June, beginning of June, and they have been very, very slow to grow. In the last week or two, they suddenly seem to have put on a bit of growth, so I think the conditions are just right now. So I've got those into the ground now. Hopefully, they are still going to be able to produce some butternut squashes. Hopefully, it's not too late or we get a late summer. But because they are in the hugel culture bed, which is a raised bed, what I can always do is just place over some EnviroMesh over the top when it gets a bit cold to try and keep them going for a little bit longer. So I think we will be okay, in all honesty. I do think we will be okay. Now, like the sharkfin melon, hopefully these will grow pretty big and shade out that bed, meaning that they won't need much work in terms of weeding. That's the idea. The sharkfin melon is actually growing quite well, and I'm seeing we are getting some melons start to develop on those. I'm looking forward to seeing how good they actually taste. So that's what's been happening here on the Veg Grower Podcast allotment this week. A lot going on, as I'm sure you can hear. In just a moment, we're going to be talking about how we go about storing much of our produce, including the onions that I've just harvested. But before that, let's find out what's been going on in a supporters club this week. Well, I hope you're enjoying the podcast so 
bar but I could really do with your support. Now, the first way that you can support me is by leaving a review on your podcast provider. This goes a long way in helping other people find the podcast and become more and more easily found. And last Wednesday, we had a comment on Apple Podcasts from Danny JMB. And he says it's a must for fruit and veg growing enthusiasts. Highly recommended with a five-star rating. That really does help us get found. Plus, it doesn't take you all that long to leave a review. But if you do really want to support this podcast as well, then please consider becoming a member of our Supporters Club. Now, to be a member of our Supporters Club, you simply head to the veggrowpodcast.co.uk, fill out the form and pay £5 a month. This is an automatic payment, so it's very easy to do. For that £5 a month, what you get is extra behind-the-scenes podcasts, as well as a collection of seeds that are sent to your door each and every month. And these seeds can be sown that very month. Now this week we have actually sown a couple of these seeds. We've sown some beetroot and we have sown some spinach. So just two of the varieties that we've sent out this month, but they should go on to provide us with plenty of food over the next few weeks. Well, on that note, let's go find out how we look at storage of our homegrown produce. Well, for this segment, you find me here in my garage at home. And the garage, I don't really talk about. It's attached to our house. There's nothing special. It is just a garage. It is meant to be, of course, for the storage of cars. But like most people's garages, they're too small for the use of cars these days. So instead, we do tend to use ours as a glorified shed, as I like to call it. In here is where we store a lot of our food. And the reason being is that it is a cool and dry environment in here. So nothing's going to get over wet. It's not going to get too hot. It's dark as well, so it's protected from sunlight. And I find that is the main things that we want to think about when it comes to the storage of our food. Now, of course, the first things that I have in here is our freezers, which of course, a lot of our food is frozen. And the reason we, we do that is that I find freezers to be some of the most efficient, I'm just opening the freezer now because they're very, very full, but I find freezers to be some of the most efficient way of storing our homegrown produce. Basically, what we do is we harvest our vegetables, be it something like peas or courgettes or sweet corn, anything like that. We, we get it home and we quickly blanch it in some hot water, basically cook it to kill it off, if you like, to stop it from growing. And then we cool it back down in ice water and then put it into the freezer. As simple as that. Now the blanching process to this is pretty important. When I was at college we had to learn all about how foods, even once they are harvested, are still breathing, they're still alive and they give off heat. And that is all worked out with how well a freezer or a fridge works, believe it or not. Slightly off topic, I know, but the reason we blanch our food is to stop it from being alive, if you like. We just kill it and stop it from growing. And it is quite an important step. If we put the food straight in the freezer without doing the blanching step, it won't last as long. 
I've actually done experiments with this and I've found that unblanched food will probably last about three months, but blanched food does last a good year. So the blanching step for me is quite important. But one other thing that we tend to do when it comes to our freezers is if we are making a meal, so for example, tonight for our dinner, we had beetroot burgers. So we've made a batch of beetroot burgers up. We only had a one beetroot burger each, and that's enough for us. But the mixture was enough to make six. So we're not going to waste that. We're going to make the remaining mix into four remaining beetroot burgers and pop them in the freezer for a later date. We do that a lot. We might make something like a vegetable curry or fish pie, for example, and using our homegrown vegetables. And then we have frozen it in what I call our homemade ready meals. And I'm a big fan of this, to be honest with you, because what we've got here is when in the middle of winter, when you want some nice vegetables, something a bit quick, or when you've been working late, you know, we can just go to our freezer, grab something out and warm it up. And it is absolutely delicious. I know many people scoff at the thought of ready meals because of a bad stigma about it. But I think if you are making your own, there's no harm in it. Now, of course, freezing our produce isn't the only way we go about storing our homegrown harvests. We tend to make a lot of jams, pickles and chutneys, various things like that. And once they are made, they can last for quite a long time. But the jars, again, they do need storing somewhere cool, dry and dark. So again, inside this garage, I've got a shelf set up where I put all our jars with a date on them so we know what to use first. Up here, ready for use in the future and they do get quite full don't get me wrong but again i love it because we have always got the stuff ready and available but then this brings me up to how we can store some of our own produce that we may not want to process like that now things like potatoes are a good example so i've harvested my first early potatoes and we're going to be moving on to our second early potatoes quite soon and first earlies and second earlies are not the best for lasting in storage. So you probably get a week or two. What I like to do, I harvest my potatoes, I try and clear up of as much dirt as possible, and then I pot them into paper bags and then hang them up in the rafters in this garage. Again, somewhere cool, dry and dark. And because they're hanging, they're not in contact with anything, firming can't get to them, just a good way of storing things. Now I mentioned that we clean off the dirt from our first and second early potatoes. That's quite an important step with all our produce. We want to clear off all that dirt that we're going to be hanging, including the onions and the garlic. And the first and early, as I said, they don't store for that long. But when we get into the main crop potatoes, we need to harden that skin a little bit first. So what we have to do is we have to cut off the foliage when it's time to harvest, uh, but leave the potatoes in the ground for about a week. After a week, we then dig up all the potatoes and we leave them on the soil for another week, maybe two weeks, just to let them harden. And then after that, give them a good clean, pot them into paper bags or hessian sacks, and again, store them in there. And by following that storage principle, they will store quite nicely. Onions and garlic, what we tend to do is clear off all the dirt and 
maybe even peel off the outer layer. We top and tail them, of course, remove the roots and remove the stalk, and then they are good for storage. But then we get into some of our other crops, our root vegetables. Now, our root vegetables are one that I like to store, our carrots, our beetroot. Now, what I have found to be one of the best ways to store these so that they are ready for future use is in what I call plastic drawers. These are the type of things you used to be very, very common. You can buy them quite cheaply from certain stores. And they are literally that. They are a set of plastic drawers. Now, these plastic drawers will last for quite a long time, so I've got no problem with using it. And they're quite simply just, as I said, like a chest of drawers, a set of drawers. But into that, I add a load of damp sand and then I add the carrots or the beetroot or whatever the root crop might be. By keeping them in damp sand, they seem to last well into the winter and seem to store really, really well. This is quite a common way people used to make wooden boxes up to store their root vegetables but for time saving I found these plastic drawers to be a quick option and I had them here anyway our squashes these are our pumpkins a butternut squash now I do love these squashes as you know we've still eaten a couple of butternut squashes from last year and they are they're coming to the end we've got to use them up now but that's been almost a year that they have been in here and they're still pretty good what i find when it comes to the squash plants it's all about preparing in advance so i like to wait until the plants completely die back and then the fruits have turned the right colour and uniform all over. And what I also look for is the stalk of the fruit when that turns a little bit different colour. It's usually green and then it starts to turn almost a yellowy colour. Now I try and leave as much of that stalk on as possible when I cut it away from the main plant. I'll give the outside a bit of a wash and then I will pot it in the greenhouse for a couple of weeks to harm the outer skin. And then they come into here, some are cool, dry and dark. As I said, they can last for a very long time, up to a year if stored correctly. All of these crops we do need to check on quite regularly to make sure they are not rotting or anything like that. And on a whole, as long as we check on it regularly, we seem to get away with it and use them up before they have rotted. Now, of course, there are other things coming up in the future, our apples and our pears that we're going to want to store as well. And what I found with apples and pears, best way to store them is in cardboard boxes, each wrapped individually in newspaper. Very hard to get newspapers these days, but often you find free newspapers either come through your door or in a local supermarket or something. Grab one of those, wrap your apples and pears and store them in a cardboard box. And again, I store them here in my, my garage, some are cool, dry and dark. Now that is the majority of the crops that I think we need to store and will be storing well into the winter months. There are of course crops that don't store well. Salad leaf is a good example. You might get a couple of days in a fridge if you're lucky. I prefer to harvest those as and we need them to keep them fresh. I don't think there's any way to really store our salad leaves for much longer and I don't think it's necessary to be honest. As much as I like storing our crops I still think fresh 
is best. So if we can harvest our crops and leave them right away, that is the better option. But if you have any tips that you would like to share about storing your crops, then please do let us know. Email me, richard at vegegrowerpodcast.co.uk. Now, usually I would be going into Scott's recipe, but Scott is on holiday this week. Instead, I've had a message from a listener, and let's find out what that's all about. Thanks so much, Richard, for your podcast. I really do enjoy listening to it. Um, I'm just wondering if you might do um, an article on squash. I'm sure I'm not the only one, but my squash have gone absolutely mad. Um, At the moment, a lot of leaves and only small squashes. Um, I'm just wondering if we cut any of the leaves back or tendrils, but if maybe if you could... um, do something on the podcast that would be great thanks again for your great advice well i always do enjoy it when i get a message come through on our speak pipe because it is such a good way i feel of producing a good podcast always good to get different voices so if you are listening and you want to send in a question then please do head to the vegroundpodcast.co.uk and hit the speak pike option Very simple to do. It will simply find your microphone and go from there. Now, this question is all about squash. Now, in the past, I have done episodes on how to grow squash. I believe the way this question is, is more about our pumpkins or our butternut squash, our winter squash, if you like, as opposed to our summer squash, our cucumbers or our courgettes. So I'm basing this answer entirely around the pumpkins and butternut squash angle. Now, the fact that there's a lot of leaves, which is something I have noticed with mine as well, is a good sign. A plant needs leaves to photosynthesize and create energy. So it's producing lots of leaves and it is probably a good thing. But if it's not producing flowers, then it could well be that it needs a good bit of feeding. Tomato feed, I find it is always good for squash. And of course, those flowers will then go on to produce the squash. Now, the caller also said that her squash that it has produced was a little bit on the small side, and this could be a number of reasons. At the moment, we are only in the middle of August, and if they are pumpkins, say, then it's probably still a good couple of months before they are needed to be harvested anyway. So don't panic. Plenty of time just yet. Same with butternut squash. There's still plenty of time, so they could just be a bit too young. There are some varieties, of course, that are very small. They're quite nice looking, I've got to say, and taste pretty good, the small pumpkins. But that could be another option. Or again, it is down to lack of feeding. So a good tomato feed as well. Now, the questioner also asked about removing leaves or tendrils. And again, as I said, the leaves are there for the plant to produce energy. It is there as a food source for the plant. So... Unless a leaf is got a disease, like my courgettes with the powdery mildew, I personally don't see a need to remove any leaves. And the tendrils are there 
for the vine to climb. Now, many of us just let our pumpkins sprawl across the ground. And I kind of feel the tendrils are then attaching itself to the ground, making it a little bit stronger and not getting blown around so much. That's my belief. I've got no proof on that. It's just my belief based on what I've seen. So personally, I wouldn't look at cutting any of the leaves or tendrils off. The other reason I wouldn't say cut any tendrils or leaves off is that that would then leave a wound in the plant which could lead to bacterial infections, which is not good because it could end up killing off the plant. And at the moment, because it is so damp, it's quite a high possibility. That being said, I did look into this and had a search online if anybody does cut leaves or tendrils off. And there are a few people that do swear by it. They believe that by cutting the leaves off, it allows the sun to get to the fruit and ripen it a little bit quicker. But at the moment, we are not at the ripening stage. We are at the growing stage. Give it time, give it a good feed and let us know what happens in the end. And if anybody else is finding the same sort of thing out, then please do let us know. Right, let's head to the garden. Well, I'm going to finish this podcast with an update here from our garden. Everything has been doing really well in the garden over this last week, it has to be said. And what with the warmer weather, uh, we've managed to cut the grass again. This is something I know I've talked a little bit about this week on the allotment and here. But it's such an important thing, I believe, in maintaining our garden and making it look good. Now, one of the things that I have noticed is out in the front garden where I have a blackcurrant bush in quite a large container. For some weird reason, something has been digging into the base of that. Probably a squirrel, I suspect. And it's chucked a load of the compost out and it's possibly even damaged the roots of my blackcurrant bush. And the reason I say it's possibly damaged the roots is because when I look at the leaves, some of them are starting to turn brown and fall off, which is really annoying. But it is some other things that we have to put up with. I'm hoping this blackcurrant bush is going to be okay and pull through. I've topped it up with some fresh compost to try and make sure it does do well. But as I said last week, we got from Wilco's another blackcurrant bush for 20p. Now on that note, my wife and I have also been popping into garden centres this week and we've managed to get a few more currant and gooseberry bushes for a pretty cheap price, between them four and five pound each, just purely because they're not looking the best, which I always think is a shame, but we bring them home, we give them a bit of a bigger pot, tart them up a bit and they will be absolutely fine and that is something that we are continuing to do with. But I was also alerted this week to a website called Gardening Express and they happened to be doing a deal on some column fruit trees or espalier fruit trees as they are correctly known as but I think column describes them a little bit easier. Now these were £10 for five trees and I I grabbed them and they have arrived today. Now, the trouble with these is that the labels have fallen off them. So you're not exactly sure what five we have got. Now, with my five, I got all five labels. There's three apple trees, there's a pear and a cherry tree. So pretty good lot of choice out of these trees. They are bare rooted, so they are going to need a bit of care. And we're not going to know 
what they are because three of the labels have fallen off. But we don't worry about that. What I've done is I've soaked them in a bit of water, just uh, got as soon as they arrived, soaked the roots in water, and then we're going to pot them into a bigger pot in order to enable them to grow and hopefully produce fruit. Now, what makes these special, why are they called column or espalier fruits, is that they basically grow as a central upright stem and produce fruit on the sides. So they're good for tight spaces. Now, how well they work is something we will see in the future. Now, we have continued to make quite a few harvests again here this week. We've got lots of raspberries, blackberries, courgettes, cucumbers, tomatoes. Lots of tomatoes, actually. They really have came in. Peas, beans, brassicas in the form of uh, cabbage and cauliflowers. Basically, you know, we're not having to go to a supermarket at the moment because of how much food both the garden and the allotment is producing. And I'm really pleased that the garden is producing so much more this year than what it's done in the past. Because I've expanded the beds and really been focusing on making the garden more and more productive, it's starting to really pay off. And this is something I'm looking at in the future. Again, we're going to be adding more beds to grow more food and seeing what happens in the future it's all good fun isn't it it's it's what it's all about and eventually the idea would be that we become more self-sufficient on what we have growing at here at home uh, i still like the allotment i still love going to the allotment so i will still keep the allotment but we're just i want to get more production from here at home now talking of making things more productive as you know i've got several veggie pods on the patio garden and that's always done really really well and it's continuing to do well but one of my things I've always wanted to do with the veggie pod is to get it to run off rain water and what I mean by that is I capture lots of rainwater as you know and I prefer to use rainwater over tap but the veggie pod have an integrated watering system which needs a decent amount of pressure in order for it to work and it's a good system it works really well because it keeps everything moist, it keeps everything cool, it sprays water basically when you turn it on. But what I wanted to do was create a way that I could use rainwater. I've had a water butt pump, uh, I've got several of them actually, and I was experimenting to see if it had the pressure to pump water into these veggie pods and it does and the spray works now this water pump that i'm actually using some of them do not have quite the right pressure to do this but this one came from hose lock so it's a decent one and it creates enough pressure that when i create a system that or a pipe work that pumps water into all three veggie pods at the same time we're going to be laughing we're going to be doing really really well and then i'm hoping that when I go through the winter months and we um, adjust the garden quite a bit, I'm hoping what we're going to be able to do is set up the pump on the timer so that it just takes the, the guesswork or the, the little things out of it that just make my time a little bit more efficient. And this is what it's all about for me at the moment, trying to make the garden more efficient so that we can continue to grow more and more food. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. If you've enjoyed it, then please do leave us a review on your podcast provider. I cannot stress just how important that really is. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to help support the podcast, then please do consider becoming a supporting member. Details on that at thevegrowerpodcast.co.uk. You can also send me an email, richard at thevegrowerpodcast.co.uk, or visit the website and leave a voicemail as well. Uh, finally, don't forget to follow me on social media. And um, I think that just about wraps up all the housekeeping stuff. We will be back again next time. So until then, please take care.